So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. So glad you are here today. So excited for you and your journey. You know, real estate is like no other, man. It gives you time, it gives you money. It gives you all those things that I think most of us are seeking and the ability to have just an amazing life. And I'm here to tell you like, Real estate multifamily investing has changed my life forever. And I'm hoping that I leave enough nuggets on the floor and that you can see the path that I've clearly laid out and not make as many mistakes as I have made. Because I'm telling you, my friends, I feel like I've made them all. And my challenge to you is to pay attention and listening to my pitfalls and and some of my advice, because I promise you, you will not make as many mistakes as I have made. And because of that, you'll get there faster, quicker, and more healthier. And, you know, listen, we all start somewhere, you know, and the the important part is to start. So you are in the right place. Uh, We are now in our third part of a series of the journey to legacy wealth. And, you know, we went over last week kind of selecting the next cash flow investment, like why multifamily makes sense, okay? So now that we've kind of narrowed it down to, yep, we want to be in real estate, we want to be in multifamily, today we're going to talk about choosing your market for optimal return on investment. In other words, where you invest makes a lot of sense and can make potentially a lot of difference. And the thing that most people do when I see when they invest, especially in the single family space, is they tend to invest in your back, in their own backyard. Well, that's not bad, but what if your backyard is not the right place? So ponder that for a moment. Just think about that for a minute. And as you think about that, I want you to think about this. As we go on this journey, you've ta- we're talking about kind of how the process works. And if you'd like to learn about Kahuna Investments investing process and how you can be maybe an investor with us, we have a place for you. So if you'll go to kahunainvestments.com, click on our deal room button, and we have a process to create a pre-existing substantive relationship with you. We want to get to know you. We have a process for that. And we'd love to welcome you into our system, you know, ask you some financial questions, um, get to know who you are, your investment style, 
what you'd like to do. And we'd love to kind of get to know you more. So it is a process for us. And we just don't let investors come into our deals. We want to get to know you and a special group that we uh, create for you guys. So anyways, take me up on that offer. Go to Kahuna Investments and click on that deal room button. With that said, choosing the right market for investing in real estate. Now, this is something I, I want to put a couple rules for the game here before we start. Okay. In other words, rules for investment in real estate. Number one rule is be careful who you listen to, my friends. Okay. For example, I can, well, maybe, maybe this or maybe not. This may, because I used to be a financial advisor, but don't listen to me when talking about advice on stocks, bonds, or market traded securities. <laughs> Now, I used to be I used to be a financial advisor, but I am not up in that business and you've got to be very dedicated. And even then, even if you're a dedicated financial advisor, those advisors still don't know what's going on with the marketplace. They understand some of their investment vehicles maybe, but they still have no control over that. So likewise, don't take real estate advice from a stockbroker. That's very, very important. Most stock brokers, really they call them broker for a reason sometimes, because they're broker than the people that they're actually sitting in front of. And many times when I was a financial advisor just starting out, I wasn't making a lot of money, but yet people with lots of money was coming in and listening to my advice. And I find that frankly weird where I feel like I should be taking advice from them on how they became wealthy. But a lot of stockbrokers have no idea, and I, and I mean not any idea, on how to invest in real estate. And what they'll be quickly to do is to poo-poo real estate and say, oh, man, that's really uh, scary and risky, even though they have no idea. And the reason is, is because it's called selling away. Stockbrokers are not allowed to sell away or sell something their brokerage does not offer. And most traditional brokerage, like Merrill Lynch, you name them, Smith Barney, you know, all the Edward Jones, you can only sell what they offer, which is usually stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, lots of mutual funds. But they don't offer real estate. Uh, why? Because it's illiquid. It's not easy to trade. Everything else is paper. Those stocks, bonds, and mutual funds are all paper assets. And so they can also, with paper assets, they get, their value can go to zero pretty damn quick. So you got to be careful. Okay. Now, there's also what I call reliable sources. Okay. Be careful when you listen to reliable sources. And those are sources like, Forbes list when Forbes says, uh, you know, they're, they're horrible, right? Or, or any other free, you know, free pages or whatever you want to call them, right? Like anything that's because it's always paid advertising, right? Those are paid stories a lot of times. Again, they're not really made by people that are truly in the trenches of real estate investing. Right. And, you know, the thing is, real estate is not just a one trick pony. There is far more to real estate than just appreciation, because most people think 
you can you buy something and it eventually it appreciates. Well, there's also things called force appreciation. There's also my number one rule, which is cash flow. Cash flow sees, should be the only name of the game. If you can cash flow, then guys, you can buy properties. If you're buying them based on that metric, it's hard to screw it up. Hard to screw it up, man. And, you know, betting on appreciate, hoping the market goes up, that's a bad play in my in my book. But understanding cash flow, that's something I can understand. And then I hope for appreciation, but I'm okay with just the cash flow. See, I want passive income showing up on my door while I'm sleeping. That's the secret and the magic to investing correctly. And when you do it that way, then you get to take a lot of the benefits associated with investing in real estate. Okay. So keep in mind that cash flow is the unbreakable rule. And let's talk about selecting kind of the right property location, right? Number one is economic factors. So when we're looking at a location uh, of a property, we're looking for a couple things. Number one, job growth. Job growth is number one. We want to see that there are jobs being created and people are moving in to the area. If there are stagnant jobs or no jobs or less jobs, be very weary. We want to go to a place where there's there are jo- jobs are being created, right? Commercial development, population growth, okay? Those are some of the economic factors, right? We want to see jobs, jobs being the most important of all those things, okay? And then affordability. Okay, so this is where like sometimes buying things on the East Coast or West Coast tends to make no sense, right? Because like in San Francisco, if you were to buy something in San Francisco and the annual cash flow is equal to one month of rent in San Francisco, <laughs> that's probably the annual cash flow is equal to one month of rent, <laughs> San Francisco is very hard to make money. It's hard to cash flow in that marketplace. People are just betting on appreciation and they're losing money, usually keeping that property. I think it's a bad idea. That's why I like the Midwest and the South is because you can find affordable, even Ohio, right? Ohio, um, you can find some affordable housing that you can cash flow in. So it's that's really important. The other part is, you know, in the location of the property is your proximity to schools, transportation, shopping, healthcare. Like, is it kind of in the right place? A school district, a good school district can change everything for you. You can be in kind of a tougher part of town, but if the school district is great and you're in it, well, that's a win, right? And you're looking also looking for crime rate. And I always like to look at the state crime rate. And then I want to look at the United States crime rate. And then I want to compare it to that zip code of where the property's at, that zip code's crime rate. And I want to see it be less. I want it to see, I want it to be better than everything else, than the state average, than uh, things like that. So we're, we're looking for good you know, crime, we don't want, we don't, no one wants to live in high crime. 
And then the desirability of a property location, right? Is who is the average buyer renter? Like how much money, do, what's their average income? How much can they afford, right? Is there lots of buyers or renters, right? Is there a good mix of both? Cause we want renters, right? And so we can't be in just the high-end home area. We've got to be in a place where there's more renters, where renters live. And then the other part of the equation is making sure that you can have the right property management to manage these assets. So, and a lot of times it's a regional management company. A very few good national companies out there. Um, I have one. I have a great national management company out there. But, you know, if you can select a region, I think you can get a really great regional management company. So I, I, I like that, that part. So because management is actually the, the critical part of making that cash flow truly, truly happen. One of the things, you know, when you look at management companies, I always say, you know, what if you were their largest client? What would you expect? If you were a management company's largest client, what would you expect? You know, you'd want them to procure and carefully screen your tenants, set up systems to easily collect rent, take all tenant calls, line up direct contractors, you know, basically have them handle all your repairs and maintenance, you know, financials, and that they're going to manage the staff that's actually at your apartment complex. And so it's really important to have the right team in place. And so we understand that part. We understand that location matters, you know, what markets we want to invest in matter. And, and here's the thing, here's the short and skinny of it, is what I love about multifamily is it doesn't have to be in your backyard because sometimes your backyard's not the right spot, but there's other markets that truly are. And, but, but markets are always changing. And so a lot of times when you can sell in a really tight market, in other words, that's high and your cap rate's really low, when you sell in that market, sometimes you don't want to rebuy in that marketplace. You would much rather than go look for another market that is, you know, in, in the expansion part of the economy, or maybe it's in the recovery phase and going up. And so you can ride that tra trajectory of uh, going from a higher cap rate to a lower cap rate, right? And really that's the real estate cycle. Cause guys, one thing I've learned, I've been through a couple cycles now and understand that it really does work this way, right? You have an expansion, right? Expansion is where new construction picks up Houses are starting, right? And, and we see that a lot right now. Until they get to a point where builders, we call it oversupply. This is the top of the arc, right? And where builders have overbuilt and the demand slowly starts to decrease. And followed by, once it starts to slowly decrease, then comes recession, right? Purchases slow to a halt. This is when your days on market for real estate go to an all-time low, like 60, 90 days, 120 days on market. Defaults increase. Foreclosures happen. And then you finally hit the bottom. And then once you get to the bottom, guess what starts to happen? Recovery.
right? So, you know, buying in the recession part of a, uh, you know, on the downside of a recession, not bad. It's maybe a little early, but it's not bad. And then riding it down, if you can get it for cash flow and then write it down for the low and then come in on the recovery side of a marketplace and write it to its high. What you don't really want to try to do is buy it at the very height of the market, right? Now, even in a high market, doesn't mean you can't find good deals. And see, that's where we're at right now is the market's tight, but there's still deals out there. You just have to do the work to find the ones that have been over leveraged or the um, owners didn't have enough capital uh, improvement to finish the project and it's not quite working. And I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios out there where you can still find good value deals. And that's, that's the name of the game is finding good value deals. And so in each market, you're going to look and say, where am I at? in the real estate cycle. You know, is it at the high? Is it at the low? Is it in recession? Is it recovery? Is it in the in expansion part of the market? And these are things you've got to understand, right? And because it's going to help you put together your overall picture of what your game plan is. And it doesn't mean that you can't buy in a high market. It doesn't mean you should, you know, because I believe you can buy in all markets if you understand what you're doing. Right. And just you got to understand what to expect. Right. Because the buy now or to wait, a lot of people, oh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till it gets great. Meanwhile, I've bought four or five properties and they're still waiting. And you know, so I just believe that you should always be looking for a good deal in every market. There's good deals in every market. There's just a lot more good deals and probably some great deals in the low side, and I'll take those too, but it's not going to keep me from buying properties during an average or, or basically good good market, right? So just want to make sure that you know that's that's not what we do, right? So I don't want to see people just waiting for. Oh, I'm going to wait for the market, you know, to crash. Man, you could be waiting forever, right? And you know. If you buy properties at a decent price, that cash flow, and that's the key word, as long as you can cash flow, what does it matter? Appreciation is just a piece of the game, but it's not the game. And so that's, I think that's what most people forget is that we're buying for cash flow. Cash flow should be your meter and appreciation is something that happens, but it's not expected, right? And I just see so many investors make this really change or basically mistake in waiting too long. So we're still actively buying in this marketplace. This year, actually, we didn't buy anything. We're, we didn't find anything that we liked, really liked that cash flowed the royal. We came close to getting a couple of deals under contract, but they fell out. One was because of COVID, and we would have bought that if it wasn't for COVID. But the other point, we're doing a new, a new development deal. So, so in my mind, that's our one deal for this year. But next year, we're trying to be a little bit more aggressive. And we want to do three to four deals next year. And so, again, we're buying in a market that I think is strong. But we believe we'll be able to find the right deals. And so, in summary, 
you've got to choose the right markets, right? You've got to, you really have to choose, you know, look at some of the, some of the economic jobs. You know, you want jobs, jobs, jobs. Understand where you're at in the real estate cycle in those markets. And then learn how to buy the right properties, right? You want to buy the properties that have some value add, that have opportunity, that you know that you can increase rents, that have stability, right? Um, that you can cash flow with those pro- with those properties. And then understanding that you got to have the right property management. You've got to have the right process or team to help you buy properties. And then the last thing is, understanding your worst case scenario. And this is something that I don't think a lot of investors do right or or even touch the surface on is to underwrite in a way that you're looking at your worst case scenario. In fact, you should be giving your investors your worst case scenario. That's what they should be looking at is if this sucks, this investment does this. That's the, in my opinion, the marketing packet or pitch deck you should be sharing with them, which is going to be kind of like, man, this deal's okay, but it's not great. And that's what you should be putting in front of your investors. Why? Because it, you will know for confidence for you is that you are showing them the worst case scenario in your mind, the worst case scenario. And then it allows you to under to, uh, under promise and guess what? Over deliver. Don't you think investors love it when you over deliver, when you do something better than you said that was going to happen? Isn't that a good thing? So in when it comes to worst case scenario, this is what it's called underwriting. When you're showing investors a deal, you want to show them your worst case scenario with you know how it's going to roll out and if you'll do that every time man it'll it'll champion you to making much much better results and much more profitability right with that in mind guys i want to thank you for this little episode and you know understanding that real estate is a journey it doesn't happen overnight it takes time it takes courage it takes passion it takes the willingness to fail and to fail not just once but to fail however many times it takes to learn and grow and become more successful right in this business i've failed my way forward and you may have to fail just as much as i did i don't know I'm hoping you don't have to fail as much. But truth is, you've got to be willing to fail. You've got to be willing to make mistakes. And if you're willing and able and you have the commitment to never quit, listen, success is right around the corner for you, my friend. Success is just right there at your door knocking. And all you got to do is open the door, invite success in, wrap it around you like a cloak of armor, and tell yourself daily that you are the most successful person you know, that you will be great, and you will have what it takes, right? It all starts in your mind, guys. I believe this wholeheartedly. Everything that I am is your mind is such a powerful tool. Don't let it go to waste. Because if you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is absolutely possible. Take care and have a wonderful day.